Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 16, where we find a, a story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. It's a story that reveals some insights about what will happen after we die. There's two people in this story who die. They have very different experiences, and we'll talk about that um, in a moment. But verse 19 of Luke chapter 16 is where the story begins. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Word of the Lord. I want you to think of someone that you know and love who has gone to be with Jesus. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent or grandparent. Could be a child or even a close friend. I want you to think about what is that person experiencing right now? Where are they and what is it like? Have you ever wondered that? You're at a funeral home and you look at the person, the body and the casket, and you think, where are they and what is it like? There's a lot of mystery to that question. But there's a lot of clues in Scripture that I hope to go over with you tonight that give us some understanding of that. Some people, of course, don't believe in an afterlife. They think this is all there is. You die, and it's over. Case closed. They think that this talk about heaven and an afterlife is just wishful thinking. But most people believe in some kind of afterlife. If you're a Hindu and living in India, you believe in reincarnation. You come back as something, but you come back because life continues. 
Others believe in soul sleep. So you die and it's like you go to sleep and you wake up when the resurrection happens. Still others, like the Catholics, will believe in purgatory, a place you go after you die to be purged of your sins that are still left in your life before you're allowed to get into heaven. But most people believe in some kind of heaven. There was a a survey done here in West Michigan not too long ago, and they found that 84% of the people who live in our area believe in some kind of heaven. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say happens to us after we die? We go to heaven. That's the easy answer. But it's a complicated answer. What is heaven? What is it like? There's actually three steps that are going to happen to us after we die. The first is what's called the intermediate state. We will experience an intermediate state. Because humans are the only creatures God made that have a body as well as a soul. Only ones. It makes us unique among all the creatures that God made. We have a soul inside of a body, and the soul will live forever. Our bodies were intended to live forever, but that isn't the way it's going to work out because of sin. They're meant to be together, but when we die, they get separated. Our bodies stay here on earth. They die, decay, whatever happens. And our souls continue living, and we go on to what's next. That intermediate state is that awkward period of time when what's meant to be together is somehow separated. Strange for us to think about what we would be without a body because we've never experienced living like that, but evidently that's what will happen. It's an intermediate thing. It's not permanent. It's just a temporary stage that we wait until the resurrection of the dead takes place and then we're reunited again with our bodies. So the first thing we will experience after we die is what's called the intermediate state. But what does the Bible say about what that will be like? Well, the Old Testament calls it Sheol. Some of you who remember older versions of the Bible have heard that word before, Sheol, the place of the dead. So I want you to open your Bibles again, if you've closed them, and turn to Genesis 37. I want to show you an example of this. It's in Genesis 37. This is the story of Joseph being sold as a slave by his older brothers. And in Genesis 37, verses 34 and 35, they've just given Joseph's bloody robe to their dad, Jacob, and Jacob has concluded, Joseph is dead. Then we read in verses 34 and 35, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son, So his father wept for him. So in that passage, if you look closely, right after the word grave in verse 35, there's a small letter A. And if you look to the bottom of that page to say, what does that A associate itself with? In the footnotes, it says Hebrew Sheol. 
So that word for grave in the Hebrew is actually the word Sheol. Jacob is saying, the only time I'm going to see Joseph again is when I go down to the place of the dead, which we know as Sheol. But even in the Old Testament, there was a hope that Sheol would not be the end. Psalm 16, verse 10, David says, You, Lord, will not abandon me to the grave, which again is the word Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So that's where we're going to go, but God's not going to leave us there, David says, in hopes that something else is going to happen. So the Old Testament talks about this intermediate state in terms of a place called Sheol, the place where the dead people go. In the New Testament, uh, it's called Hades. The New Testament calls it Hades. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, Hades, is the Greek word, is your sting. In Revelation 1, Jesus claims to control the gates of Hades. He says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then in Revelation 20, it says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. For those who don't know Jesus, Hades is a very different place from those who do. And that's what we see in our text from Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. Verses 22 and 23, let's read these together. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So you'll notice the English translators translated that word Hades, hell. That has a very different connotation to us, doesn't it? Hell is a place of torment, and that's where the rich man ended up. It's where the wicked go. Because evidently the intermediate state is different. It's not the same for everyone. Some, like the rich man, are going to begin to experience torment already, even though they literally are not in hell yet. And others, like Lazarus, go to a far different place, a place of joy and comfort, even though it literally isn't heaven quite yet. It's still this intermediate state, but already there's this separation, perhaps. Now, this is a story in Luke 16. It's a parable Jesus told. We have to be a little bit careful to dig too much theology and what it's all going to be like from a story. So you have to take it all with a little bit of a grain of salt. But the New Testament goes on to explain what's going to happen to us if we believe in Jesus after we die. And there's three different metaphors that the New Testament uses. The first is the word paradise. It claims that we will be in paradise. 
We learn that word from Jesus Himself. You might remember when He was on the cross, the thief on the cross, they had that conversation, and Jesus said to the thief, I tell you the truth, today you will be with Me in paradise. What is paradise? We're not told, but it's this wonderful place, a beautiful place, where we will have unhindered fellowship with God. Kind of like Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Unhindered fellowship with God. It was paradise. Heaven on earth, you might call it. So that's one of the metaphors. Paradise is something we'll get to experience. The second one is that we go to be with Christ. We go to be with Christ. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1, 21 through 23. He says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So the thing Paul was looking forward to the most after he died was going to be with Christ. That was what it was all about. Does that sound good to you? It sort of depends on how well we know Christ. If you know Christ, if you love Christ, if you've gotten to know Him well on this side of heaven, well then that's about the best it can be is to be with Him forever. But if you don't know Jesus, you haven't. that doesn't sound maybe all that appealing. Another text that talks about us going to be with the Lord is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. Why don't we read this one together? We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. At home with the Lord. Interesting way of thinking about what happens next. We're, we're not home now, but we'll be home when we get to be with the Lord. It's where we belong. It's where we'll be the most comfortable we'll, we'll ever have been. A safe place. It's home. Then the third metaphor the New Testament uses to describe where we're going to go after we die is a building or a house. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that's a reference to our current bodies, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So, Paul is using a metaphor here, two different metaphors. He says, the bodies we live in now are kind of like a tent. Ever gone tent camping? Tents are flimsy things, especially if there's a strong wind. We were camping once with Sue's parents at Grand Haven State Park, and this wind came along. We were young. We were in a tent. The whole thing just fell over on us. It's flimsy. It's fragile. It's temporary. You're not going to live in a tent for very long. That's kind of like our earthly bodies. And then Paul says, but the thing coming is a building, a building that is being built for us from, by Jesus. We will have a building 
from God. So those of you who have had loved ones die and you wonder, where are they and what are they experiencing? Well, they're experiencing, if they know Jesus, paradise, unhindered fellowship with God in a beautiful place. They are with Jesus. That's the best thing about heaven, according to Scripture. And they've moved from this fragile, temporary, earthly existence to something much more stable and permanent and eternal, which is to be forever with the Lord. This is all step one. The intermediate state. What happens immediately after we die. Our bodies and souls are separated. And then step two is when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, the resurrection of the dead takes place. All of the bodies of all the dead people are all of a sudden going to come back to life and be reunited. So our bodies will be resurrected. Kind of like a peanut and an empty shell. Our bodies are like the shell, the husk around a peanut. What's inside is the kernel, the peanut itself. That's what we're most interested in. And the shell is going to be separated for a while and then it'll come back together again. 1 Corinthians 15. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So notice the words highlighted in that text. Those are the characteristics of this body that is to come. Now, the Greeks didn't like that idea of the resurrection of the body because the Greeks had a worldview that was dualistic. The Greeks figured the best things in life are spiritual, the worst things are physical. Physical is evil, sinful. We want to get rid of that. It's like the husk of the peanut. You want to get out of that, and what you really want is that kernel of the peanut inside. And so, earthly, evil, sinful body, that's all going to go away, but the best part is the soul inside of us, that's going to live forever. That's how the Greeks thought of of the afterlife, of, of the disembodied soul being the ideal, which of course it isn't. That's just a temporary situation. Notice how that view really contradicts Scripture. If you think the body is evil and wicked and sinful and something we really don't want, it's all going to be done away with. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says the body is something that's going to stick with us. The Christian view of the human body is that it's good. It was created good by God. And while sin has distorted it, in its essence, it's still a wondrous and good thing. Something to be treasured. And one day, our bodies are going to be fully restored. The Old Testament already talks about that. The the value of our physical body and the hope of a resurrection. 
In Psalm 16, verse 10, David says, again, we mentioned this one already, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. There's a hint at the body being resurrected. Isaiah 26, 19, But your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. That could be an Easter text in the middle of Isaiah. There's this hope of the resurrection of the body. And then Daniel 12 says this, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. All three of those are Old Testament texts and they already look forward to this hope of a resurrected body. That's different than heaven being a bunch of disembodied souls floating around somewhere. The New Testament gets even more specific, of course. It uses the example of Jesus' resurrection to bolster our hope that we will all be resurrected. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. What are firstfruits? It's just the first. It's the first part of the harvest. The very first strawberries from your strawberry patch. But there's a whole bunch more strawberries to come. So, Jesus' resurrection is just the first, and all of us are going to follow. That's the metaphor Paul is using. And in Romans 8, it says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. This resurrection of the body is an important Christian doctrine. It's based on the theology that says the created physical world is a good thing. It's a good place. So good, in fact, God is in the process of renewing it and redeeming it. Which brings us to step three. Step one is the intermediate state. We go immediately to be with Jesus in paradise. Step two, the resurrection of the body when Jesus returns, and then step three is heaven. We will live on a new earth, and it will be heaven. Kids sometimes have interesting views of heaven. So a little eight-year-old boy named Stephen, when he was asked what happens when you die, this is what Stephen said, when you die... God takes care of you like your mother did when you were alive, only God doesn't yell at you all the time. Child's view of heaven, maybe, not getting yelled at. He must have been a little naughty. This is what nine-year-old Judy said. She writes this, Only good people go to heaven. The other people go to where it's hot all the time, like Florida. I'm not sure I would compare... Florida to hell in January. But that's Judy's perspective. (laughs) Heaven, though, is not what a lot of people think it's going to be. A lot of people, when they think of heaven, they think of 
the spiritual, ethereal realm. We're floating in the clouds. We're playing harps. We're singing in a choir. We're walking streets of gold. But there's nothing more tangible than that. But according to Scripture, heaven is a whole new world. It's just like the world we're living in now, only everything in it will be better. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and the whole creation was cursed, God has been working to redeem it. So Genesis or John 3.16 does not say God so loved people that He gave His only one and only Son. It says, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And the Greek word world is cosmos. God loves the whole cosmos, the whole created universe. Every square inch of what He made is going to be remade, renewed. Sin is going to be removed. And it's going to be a brand new place for us to live and enjoy. God's plan of redemption is not just to save souls. It's to save the whole thing. It's all going to be new, including us. We'll be with the Lord. We'll have new glorified bodies. It's hard to know what that's going to be like, but it's going to be way better than the bodies we have now. They'll live forever. They'll be strong. They'll be smart. They're going to just be unbelievably good. And we'll enjoy a whole new world where we will find work, we'll find satisfaction, we'll find joy. There will be things to do. God will be the center of it all. We will enjoy Him, delight in Him, worship in Him, do everything for His glory. It'll be an existence that we've been created for. It's what our souls have longed to experience. And finally, we'll get there one day by the grace of God. And it'll be so wonderful and so glorious. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. And that's what's going to happen after we die. Let's pray. Lord, what hope and joy there is in this subject it's a mysterious subject that's hard for us to get our minds around. But we're thankful that You have great things in store for us. By Your grace, we're going to be with You. We're going to experience paradise. We're going to have unhindered fellowship with You. These flimsy bodies like tents will be gone and we're going to get something more permanent, more stable, more wonderful in every way. And You will be the center of it all. And so, Lord, may we get to know You now. May we cherish You now. May we come to know You now so that heaven for us will be a delight of going to be with You forever. Thank You for that hope we have through Christ our Lord. Amen.